Hey listeners, this is Ajay Tambay, the producer host of Creative Audio's Dot In Podcast, and this is new update. We are coming up with new audio drama, Prisoner's Daughter, on twenty second May, twenty twenty two. So make sure you subscribe and follow us on Instagram. Subscribe to the show, and here you go to your story that you are listening. But the Prisoner's Daughter on twenty second May, the audio drama is going to release. Stay tuned, stay connected, and subscribe. Thank you. Now streaming, Man with Twisted Lip, from Emma Joseph Sherlock Holmes, only on Quidditch you started podcast, streaming. We both put our eyes into grating. The prisoner lay with his face towards us, in very deep sleep, in a very deep sleep, breathing slowly and heavily. He was a middle-sized man, coarsely clad as became his calling. with a collar shirt protruding through the rent in his tattered coat he was as the inspector had said extremely dirty but the grim which covered his face could not conceal its repulsive ugliness a bold wheel from an old scar ran across it from eye to chin and by its contraction had turned up one side of the upper lip so that three teeth were exposed in a perpetual snarl a shock of very bright red hair grew over his eyes and forehead he's a beauty isn't he said the inspector he certainly needs a wash remarked hose i had an idea that he might and i took a liberty of bringing the tools with me he opened the gladstone bag as he spoke and took out to my astonishment a very large bath sponge hey hey you are funny one chuckled the inspector now if you will have the great goodness to open the door very quietly and we will cut a much more responsible figure more respectable figure Well, I don't know why. Well, I don't know. Why not? said the inspector. He doesn't look like a crook to the Bow Street cells, does he? He slipped his key into the lock and we all were quietly entered the cell. The slipper half turned and then settled down more than into a deep slumber. Home stooped to the wash mug, moistened his punch and then rubbed it twice vigorously across and down the prisoner's face let me introduce you he shouted western noble saint clair of lee in the county of kent never in my life i have seen such a sight the man's face peeled off under the sponge like a bark of a tree gone was the coarse brown tint gone too was gone was the coarse brown tint gone too was the horrid scar which had seamed it across and the twisted lip which had given the repulsive sneer to the face a twitch a twitch brought away the tangled red hair 
and there sitting up in his bed was a pale, sad-faced, refined-looking man, black-haired and smooth-skinned, rubbing his eyes and staring about him with sleepy bewilderment. Then suddenly, realizing the exposure, he broke into a scream and threw himself down with his face to the pillow. Great heavens, said this man. It is indeed the missing man. I know him from the photograph. The prisoner turned with the reckless air of a man abandons himself to the destiny. Be it so, said he, and pray what I am charged with. With making away with Mrs. With making away with Mr. Neville's scent. Oh, come on. You can't be charged with that unless they make a case. Attempted suicide of it. Said the inspector with the queen. Well, I have been 27 years in the force. But this really takes the cake. If I am Mr. Neville St. Clair, then it is obvious that no crime has been committed and that, therefore, I am illegally detained. No crime, but a very great error has been committed, said Holmes. You would have done better to have trusted your wife. It was not the wife, it was the children, groaned the prisoner. God help me, I would not have them ashamed of their father. My God, what an exposure! What can I do? Sherlock Holmes sat down beside him on the couch and patted him kindly on the shoulder. If you leave it to a code of law to clear the matter up, said he, of course you can hardly avoid the publicity. On the other hand, if you cover the police authorities that there is no possible case against you, I do not know that there is any reason that the details should find their way into the papers. Inspector Bradstreet order. I am sure make notes upon anything which you might tell him, which you might tell us, and submit it to the proper authorities. The case would then never go into the court at all. God bless you, cried the prisoner passionately. I would have endured imprisonment. Hey. Even execution, rather than left my miserable secret as a family block to my children. You are the first who ever heard my story. My father was a schoolmaster in Chesterfield, where I received an excellent education. I travelled in my youth, took to a sage, finally became a reporter on an evening on an evening paper in London. One day, my editor wished to have a series of articles upon begging in the metropolis, and I volunteered to supply them. There was a point from which all my adventures started. It was only by trying begging as an amateur that I could get the facts upon which to base my articles. When an actor I had, of course, learned all the secrets of making up and had been famous in the green room for my skills, I took advantage, 
Now of my attainments I painted my face and to make myself as pitiable as possible I made a good scar and fixed it on side of my lip in a twist by the aid of a small slip of flesh colored plaster. Then with the red head of hair and an appropriate dress I took my station in the business part of the city. Ostemporary as a match seller, but really as a beggar. For seven hours I piled my trade, and when I returned home in the evening, I found to my surprise that I had received no less than twenty-six. 26 says 4D. I wrote down my article. I wrote my article and though little more of matter, until some time later I packed a bill for a friend and had right served upon me for 25 pounds. I was at wit's end where to get the money, but a certain idea came to me. I begged a fortnight's crest from the creditor, asked for the holiday for my employers, and spent a time begging in the city under my disguise. In ten days, I had made the money and had paid the debt. Well, you can imagine how hard it was to settle down to arduous work at two pounds a week when I knew I could earn much in a day by smearing my face with a little paint, landing my cab on the ground and sitting still. I was a long fight. It was a long fight between my pride and the money. It was a long fight, but the dollar won at last. And I threw up reporting and sat day after day in the corner, which I had first chosen inspiring pity by my ghastly face and filling my pockets with coopers. Only one man knew my secret. He was the keeper of low day in which I used to lodge in Swandam Lake where I could every morning emerge as squalid baker and in the evening transform myself into a well-dressed man about town. This fellow, Alaskar, was well paid by me for his rooms, so that I knew that my secret was safe in his position. Well, very soon I found that I was saving considerable sums of money. I do not mean any beggar in the streets of London could ever earn 700 pounds a year, which is less than my average takings. But I had exceptional advantage in my power of making up and also in a facility of repartee which improved my practice and made me quite a recognized character in the city. All day a stream of pennies all day a stream of pennies varied by silver poured in upon me and it was a very bad day in which I failed to take two pounds. As I grew richer I grew more ambitious took a house in the country and eventually married without anyone having a suspicion as to my real occupation. My dear wife knew that I had a business in the city. She little knew that. 
Last Monday, I had finished for the day and was dressing in my room. Above the opium den, when I looked out my window and saw to my horror and astonishment that my, that my wife was standing in the street with her eyes fixed full upon me, I gave a cry of surprise, threw up, up, my, threw up my arms and covered my face and rushed to my confidant, the Laskar, and treated him to prevent my face and rushing to my confidant. Laska entreated him to prevent anyone from coming up to me. I heard her voice downstairs, but I knew that she could not ascend swiftly. I threw off my clothes, pulled on those of a beggar and put on my pigments and a wig. Even wife's eyes could not pierce so complete a disguise. But then it occurred to me that there might be a search in the room and that the clothes might betray me. I threw upon the window, reopening by my violence a small cut which I had inflicted upon myself in the bedroom that morning. Then I seized my coat which was weighed by the coopers which I had just transferred to it from the leather bag. I had just transferred to it from the leather bag in which I carried my takings. I hurled it out of the window and it disappeared into the Thames. The other clothes would have followed, but at that moment there was a rush of constables up the stairs and a few minutes after I found, rather I confessed to my relief that instead of being identified as Mr. Neville Sinclair, I was arrested as his murderer. I do not know that there is anything else for me to explain. I was determined to preserve my disguise as long as possible and hence my preference for a dirty face. Knowing that my wife would be terrible extras, I slipped off my ring and confided it to the last car at the moment when so moment when no constable was watching me confided it to the Lascar at a moment when no constable was watching her, together with Howitt's crop, telling her that she had no cause of fear, together with the Howitt's crop, telling her that she had no cause to fear. The note only reached knowing my wife was, knowing my wife, knowing that my wife would be terribly anxious, I slipped off my wing and confided it to the Lascar at the moment when no constable was watching me, together with a hurried skull, telling her that she had no cause to fear, I wrote her a letter. <laughs> that note only reached her yesterday, said Holmes. Good God! What a week she must have spent! The police have watched this last car, said Inspector Bradstone. And I can quietly understand that he might find it difficult to post a letter unobserved. Probably he handed it to some sailor customer of his who forgot all about it for some days. That was it, said Holmes nodding approval. I had no doubt of it. But have you ever been prosecuted for begging? Many times. But what was a fine to me? 
I must stop there. I must stop here, however. I must stop here, however, said Bradstreet. Of the police, I do hush this thing up. There must be no more of you both. I sworn it to my most solemn oaths, which a man can take. In that case, I think that this is probable that no further steps may be taken. But if you are found again, then all must come out. I am sure, Mr. Holmes, that we are very much indebted to you for having cleared the matter up. I wish I knew how you reach your results. <laughs> I reach this one, said my friend, by sitting upon five pillows and consuming an ounce of shag. I think, Watson, that if we drive to Baker Street, we shall just be in time for our breakfast. Everyone, this was the last episode of Man with Tustelip, and here the case was solved. It was now confirmed that Hugh Bone was Mr. Neville's 